Welcome to Simply Financial with your financial coach, Kevin Ray. In today's investing environment, there's a lot of clutter. If you're tired of the talking heads and financial noise, this is the show for you. Today, we'll help you find simple solutions to financial challenges. We'll show you how to achieve your financial goals and get answers to your toughest questions. Simply Financial with Kevin Ray starts now. Hey, welcome to another edition of Simply Financial. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Ray. He is your financial coach at Insight Folios, serving you in the Tri-City area based in Pinconning. You can find us online at insightfolios.com. We've got a great show on the way today. Kevin, how is uh, your day going? Hopefully well. Day's going pretty good, Walter. How about you? Glad to hear that. Uh, I, I'm, I I'm well. you got a little voice. Yeah, you got a little voice issue. Don't sound like I normally do. Uh, had had a little bout of COVID after three years. Finally got it, Kevin. So, well, is what it is. But that's uh, all that crud still going around. So you got to be careful. Exactly. So. Yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of got the sore throat and not a whole lot of other symptoms. I, I didn't get the sore throat. No sore throat through the whole thing. But I got everything else. So <laughs> chills, fever, shakes, all the like the flu type symptoms, even nausea and some other things. And then, uh, and then all the cold symptoms now, kind of on the tail end piece of it. So bad headache, all that kind of stuff. But you're getting better. Getting better. It's just uh, I actually yeah. feel feel pretty good. I was even able to work out yesterday, and uh, my first workout back, and uh, so it was a little tough getting back into the workout. But I was able to run and do stuff. So lung wise, I don't think I've got any long term, you know, damage or anything like that going on. Just need to get back, yeah. you know, into into shape after ten days of not really doing anything. But I just can't shake this last little bit of congestion. It's just like hanging out. So uh-huh. hopefully well, people can deal it, with the bad voice today. Yeah, you were good at evading it for a while. Now you just have to deal with it, right? Now we'll deal with it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So bear with us through a bit of a nasally sound today, folks. But uh, hopefully the uh, the good content on today's show will be worth it. Uh, we're going to be talking about the financial commandments, some of the things that should be truly written in stone tablets in your retirement plan. So that should be fun to talk about. We'll get into some diversification talk as well. And if we have time, we'll also discuss how to work with the right advisor for your situation. So all that and more coming up on today's show. Kevin, you ready to dive into everything? Let's give it a whirl this morning. Uh, Walter. Right. Let's see what happens. It'd probably take the whole show if we did 10 financial commandments. So we, we've just said, okay, we're going to condense this down to five. All right. So it's a smaller stone tablet, if you will. Uh, so we've got five. Eas- easier to carry is what right. you're saying. Exactly. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. A little less weight. So five financial commandments uh, to discuss today. So I'll throw out the commandment and you let us know why this is uh, such an important commandment, such an important thing in the financial and retirement planning worlds that we would put it in stone. All right, so the first one is, thou shalt not compare your investments to the stock market without the proper context. How about that for a commandment? Well, there you go. Well, I can tell you what comes to mind when, when somebody will come into my office, we'll sit down and we'll start talking. And, you know, sometimes the conversation will turn, well, you know, the market did, you know, 10% last year and I only did two. What in the world is going on? So what do you think is going on in that particular instance there, Walter? Uh, well, they just, I mean, there's the natural ups and downs, right? So it's just the, the timing of how you're experiencing it. That could be it. But more often than not, they're maybe a lot more conservative mm. than, the, than the market. So the market, you know, is a, is a risk factor. You know, the S&P has something called the standard deviation that measures measures the risk. And the risk factor over there is probably 15 to 18, the standard deviation number. 
Well, if we look at your portfolio, maybe you're loaded up on cash, maybe you're loaded up on bonds, those types of things. Your risk factor is way, way back, way to the left. So you're not going to get those market returns. It just simply mm. by the way you're invested. So you have to say, you know, if, if you're a longer term investor, we want you hanging in there with more risk. But if you're a short term investor and you need that money in the near future, well, that's where your conservative investments are going to come into play. So you're not going to see those returns as the S&P does or the Dow does or whatever you're comparing it to. So you just have to be, you know, reminded of that. Sometimes people will come in and we'll just go through it. Well, it's because you have 80% bonds and only 20% stocks. That's why you're not getting the stock market returns because you're not only 20% into the market. So we have to have those conversations, pull out what's going on in your own particular portfolio. And then we can compare, you know, we shouldn't compare, right? But we need to compare to see why you're not getting those returns you think you should be getting. Once we show that reasoning, then it comes into play. All right, now we can tweak. Now we can make some changes because maybe you have, you know, 10, 15 years before you need this money. Maybe you're way too conservative. And on the other hand, maybe you're way too aggressive too. So maybe, you know, the market goes down and you went down a lot more and the other side of the coin is flipped here. So we need to look at investments, you know, see where you're at. And then we could start the, the planning process as far as how much aggressiveness or how much conservativeness you need to have in your portfolio. Great points. That's why that word context is so important and why that one gets written into the stone tablet. All right. Great example there, Kevin. Uh, If you've got questions as we go through the show today, by the way, you can always reach out to Kevin at any time by calling 888-885-PLAN. That's 888-885-7526. Ask how you can get a complimentary review of your financial plan. Uh, number two, our, our second financial commandment, thou shalt not give up before giving your strategy enough time to play out. Is this a common problem? It is. It's, well, when the market goes crazy, what happens, Walter, to most people? What, they emotionally react. Most right? Emotionally react. Yeah. So I, I'm going to give a shout out to Chuck, our bug guy. That's what we call him, Chuck the bug guy. Here, Chuck right? the bug guy, okay. Like Chuck, the, you know, he's, he's retired, but he knew everything about bugs, and he would come to my office in my home and he would tell me, you know, this is going to take time, right? You're not going to see results overnight. We're going to do this, that, and the other thing. And we're not going to see as many spiders or the ants or whatever was causing problems here in the office or at home. Same thing's going to apply here. So you have to have your strategy. So if you're sitting down with your advisor and you're going through an income plan, you're going through a growth plan, whatever that plan is, it's not always going to work out right out front. It just doesn't work that way. We need time for those strategies to work out. So when the market goes down, so let's say, Walter, last year, you decide I'm going to get into growth, and then the market went down 15, 20%, then you pushed the panic button, and fear came in, and greed came in, and then what did you do? Uh, Bailed out. Bailed out. And then this year, the market's come back 7, 6, 7%. So did you, you missed out on that 6 or 7% that you could have been in it. And the simple reason is because you had a strategy at the time it, it should have made sense, and you didn't let it do its thing. The market ups and downs are normal. You have to remember that. They're never, they're, they don't always go up. They go up and down. But over time, if you look at particular strategies, they should work out in your favor because long-term investing is what the market's about. It's not about getting in and trying to time it. It's not about getting out at certain times, getting in at certain times. It's about getting in and letting it do its thing. Over time, if you look at the stock market, it's been good for creating wealth. And that's what it is. But it's over time doesn't happen overnight and that's where the emotions come in typically we'll see people get emotional because they don't have a plan they they said well you know at this time i can take x amount of risk and it felt good because the market was doing good but then the market goes down and their risk tolerance goes to nothing 
And that's what they're basing on, the emotions. I got to get out before the next big bang comes because that seems to be what's on everybody's mind now. You have to stick to that strategy and you have to give it time to work. It's like um, you're on medication of some sort, I'm assuming, Walter, right, for your COVID? Uh, no, they wouldn't give me anything. But no, we, they wouldn't. I, I took a little NyQuil, DayQuil. But, yeah. But yeah. Well, well, same thing. If you're on medications for antibiotics or whatever it is, it doesn't work immediately. You have to give it time yeah. to work. Yeah, same thing true. here. Same thing here. I uh, definitely had to think about that when I had the, the really bad headache, just trying to get that headache under control with all the COVID stuff going on. And it's just like, yeah, you take that pill and you know it's not going to work within five seconds. You got to give it that little bit of time just yeah. before you say, okay, that didn't work. Let me try something else, right? Because <laughs> then you just get yourself in trouble if you start, you know, just taking multiple meds and that sort of thing. That's not a road you want to go down. So no, and then your liver and kidneys are going to get in trouble, right? <laughs> right exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Other consequences and problems pop up by not giving strategies and, uh, and fixes the time they need to start working. So great examples there, Kevin. All right, how about this next financial commandment? Our third one is, thou shalt not chase big returns too late in life. There's a couple of key modifiers in that, uh, in that commandment, aren't there? there? There are. Why do you think that is? Why don't you want to chase big returns later in life? Well, to me, the, the later in life part really jumps out because if we're chasing, it means we're probably taking more risk and time's no longer on our side to recover from mistakes. So that's, that's where my mindset's going. I'm wondering why I'm, I'm even talking because you're really good at this stuff, Walter. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed at the Holiday Inn Express last night. <laughs> right. Well, the other, there you go. The other thing is, let's say you're getting in your 50s and 60s and you're getting ready for retirement. Well, maybe you started investing in your 401k at work in your 20s, and you've been doing it for 40 years. It's hard to get out of that habit. But you know your motive is changing. You wanted growth to get you to retirement. Now you're in retirement. Now you should be thinking about income. So that income strategy is going to change. You're not going to be looking for chasing big returns no more because you're there. Hopefully you've made it. You've won the game. You've got enough set aside to get you through the rest of the second half of your life. That's through retirement. So now we need to not look at returns so much. We need to look at income. How can we produce income so you don't run out of money for the rest of your life? And that's what most people are concerned about. So the strategy has to change. And the strategy is not always taking big big chances to get big returns because we want, we want income. So if we take a big chance and you're 60 years old and the market just falls to pieces and you're still withdrawing out of it, that's where people tend to get fearful, make emotional decisions and get into trouble. You have to change strategies going down later in life. I, I agree. You need to chase the bigger returns when you're younger. But when you get older, we need to start looking at income. And there's several things in the market, dividends, you know, one, annuities, uh, CDs. There's all kinds of things out there that we can use to generate income that'll give you the confidence going into retirement. So don't chase big returns for your entire life. It probably will not work out. If you're just joining us, we're again talking to Kevin Ray here on Simply Financial. He's your financial coach, serving you at Insight Folios all throughout the Tri-City area, but based in Pinconning. You can go to insightfolios.com and click the listen button to ask questions or check out past episodes of the show for more great information and guidance. All right, Kevin, we're talking about these financial commandments. We've got two more to go over. Number four, thou shalt not ignore costs and fees. Is that a big mistake a lot of people are making? That is a big mistake a lot of people are making. Do you remember, I, I quoted this several times on the radio show, that Forbes article about the real cost of investing for mutual right. funds? yeah. Do you remember what the numbers were? I'm trying to remember. It, it said several percent. I mean, yeah, the average cost of a mutual fund is from 3.14% to 4.14%. That's wow. the average cost. 
So let's say, uh, well, and then there's there's things out there that you can extract the cost. You have to buy the software to extract the cost out of it. But I'll give you an example how bad one was. It was a, um, a mutual fund, and then the fees in there were 8% for that one particular year. 8%? 8%. So if the count made 10, how many did you get? How much did you get? Only You're only left with two, right? You're only left with two. But geez, the count did 10. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? It does, yeah. But if you're left with two, then it doesn't sound so wonderful. So We're, we're f- down to a value conversation at this point. We are. So the fees will add up over time. Let's just say you have a, I don't know, half a million dollar portfolio and the average cost is 3% a year. That's $15,000 per year. 10 years, that's 150000 So if we can look at your fees and we can extract your fees and say there's a better way to do this, um, fee wise, and we can save, you know, you can save thousands of dollars going forward. I would think that that's some information that you need to pay attention to. Why don't people do it? Because when you look on your statements, you're going to see something called an expense fee. And that pe- people typically think that's the only fee they're getting charged in that mutual fund. Well, there's turnover costs, which is a big cost on most mutual funds. I read where the turnover cost on the average mutual funds, hundred percent. So what do I mean by turnover cost? Turnover cost is this. Let's say, uh, Walter, you own mutual fund A and they have 100 stocks in there. Well, if they have a turnover ratio of 100%, that means they bought and they sold all those stocks one time throughout the course of the year. Okay. So every time they buy, what do you think there is? There's uh, probably a fee, a transaction fee. fee of some sort, right? Yep. And when you sell, what is there? The same thing. Same thing. So turnover cost is one of the bigger costs involved in there. There's several other costs that come on uh, involved in mutual funds and other types of investments. You need to pull those out. You need to see if that's in your best interest. And most of the time, it's not going to be in your best interest. And there's other things out there that may be very similar to what you're doing, but maybe save you 1% or 2% on fees going into it. So don't ignore those fees. Don't ignore those costs and those fees going into retirement um, and getting to retirement because those fees will pile up over time. So be aware of those. All right, great points across the board, Kevin. There is one more financial commandment to cover. Thou shalt not overlook the importance of rebalancing and diversifying. Well, that's a big one. So what are we talking about when you said rebalancing and diversifying? Well, diversifying typically says we want to own different assets that are not correlated. So if one goes up, maybe the other one stays flat. And so they all don't swing like a roller coaster. We want to level that roller coaster right out. So maybe large company stocks last year, dividend stocks last year, were did quite well. Well, most other stocks did not. So that having dividend stocks in your portfolio smoothed that right out because typically they were up in, up in value. Now, what are we talking about in, in rebalancing? Rebalancing is this. Let's say that you have 30 different stocks in your portfolio and you, you're going to put X amount of dollars in there. Well, typically you're going to have about 3% of your money in each particular stock. So if one company goes bad, we have 3, 3% in there. But let's just say over the course of the year, one stock of that 30 is not doing so good and it's 2% of your portfolio. And another stock is doing pretty good and it's 4% of your portfolio. Now, I'm making this simple. Okay. But so what rebalancing says we're going to bring all those stocks back in line to 3%. So what's going to happen is automatically, without emotion, we're going to sell high that 4% stock. We're going to sell 1% of that and bring it back down to 3 And we're going to buy 1% of that other stock and bring it up to 3 So we're buying low and we're selling high, just what you're supposed to do. You want to have that you know, automatically happening in your portfolio because what will happen over time, we see this a lot in our office, they'll have a couple of different investments 
And then then when they first started out, maybe 30% of their money was in this one investment. Now it's 50 or 60 because no rebalancing and no diversification is going on in that portfolio. And that can be very dangerous if you're going into retirement or getting ready for retirement because that can make a big hindrance or take a big chunk out of your returns over time. So beware. You got to have diversification. You got to have rebalancing because that's critical when you're going into retirement and getting ready for retirement, and even when you're in 20s and 30s, because you don't want to be overweighted in one sector, and then that one sector goes down, and then you're feeling the brunt of that. So you need to rebalance throughout the course of the year, and you need to keep looking at your diversification going through there. So make sure that that's happening in your portfolio. That's critical going forward. Well, there you have it, the five commandments of your financial plan, financial and retirement commandments. Uh, Just to recap them, thou shalt not compare your investments to the stock market without proper context. Thou shalt not give up before giving your strategy enough time to play out. Thou shalt not chase big returns too late in life. And thou shalt not ignore costs and fees. And that last one, thou shalt not overlook the importance of rebalancing and diversifying. Uh, I'm imagining, Kevin, that all of the plans that you put together for clients are following these commandments? They are. Okay, very good. They are, yeah. Uh, But I would imagine when people first come to visit with you, these commandments aren't necessarily being followed. Would that be a a good assumption as well? That's a very good assumption. So, yeah, we sometimes will look at... uh, I gave an example, you know, we're talking about diversification last time. We we come across the lady, she had everything in one stock. That that you know, so that your whole entire investment is is relying on one stock. That's not a good thing. That's where diversification, you know, and we need to talk about those types of things. So Good, good example, and I'm sure we could uh, illustrate many, many more throughout today's show, but uh, we'll cap it there. So if you're in that boat of folks who don't necessarily have a plan put together that takes into account all of these different financial commandments, reach out and have a conversation with Kevin, and he can make sure that you get a plan that does follow these really important tenets, these important principles, and make sure you're on the right track to get to and all the way through retirement. If you'd like to have that conversation and uh, go through a complimentary review process of your portfolio and your finance reach out by calling 888-885-PLAN. That's 888-885-7526. Again, Kevin's your financial coach, born and raised in Pinconning. That's where the office is today. Come by, say hello, and have a conversation. You can also just start things out over the phone with some simple questions or meet via Zoom, however you prefer. 888-885-PLAN is the number. That's 888-885-7526. 7526. Hey, more coming up on today's show. You're listening to Simply Financial with Kevin Ray. This isn't a get rich quick show. It's not a bigger and better show. It's not a make your head spin with complex numbers and data show. This is Simply Financial. Thanks for being with us today on Simply Financial. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Kevin Ray, your financial coach at Inside Folios. If you're just joining us, apologies for the terrible voice today, recovering from a COVID infection. Beyond the uh, CDC 10-day window of masking and isolation and all that stuff, Kevin, but uh, the voice still doesn't want to cooperate. So we're uh, we're pushing through, though. You're, you're carrying the show, as you always so diligently do, my friend. Like, you know, you have that little gravel in your voice right now? Yeah. I'm betting that you got in the shower tonight and you sang the Star Spangled Banner <laughs> magnificently, didn't you? <laughs> you got that right. Absolutely. Yeah, at some point today, this will transition from sounding more like tired voice and it will get that real deep 
like you know guttural resonance sound to it and uh, it'll be performance time in the storehold household you got that right get the karaoke <laughs> machine out and have some fun yes. i love it i love it if anybody was listening to uh what the show but what two weeks ago i think we were talking lots about singing yes. in the shower so that's that's what that reference is uh we talked a little bit in the last segment kevin as we were going through some financial commandments we touched on diversification thought it would be a good idea to break that conversation out and go a little bit more in depth into what diversification really looks like, because it is one of these terms in the financial world that's, I'm not going to say it's controversial, but just people have different opinions of what it means to them. It's kind of a subjective term. Is that right? It is. It's very subjective. Yes. Yeah. So let's take it from a couple of different angles. First of all, how, from what you see, not necessarily your opinion, but how does the average person typically define diversification in your experience? In my experience, it's lots of different accounts. They think they're diversified. What I mean by that, you know, somebody will come into my office and we'll look at their statement and they'll have like 10 or 15 different mutual funds. So by thinking that, you know, they have all these funds that are really diversified. So let me give you an example of what we've seen here not too long ago. So one person had, they had the Vanguard Total Stock Market Index. When I said that, what do you think that is, Walter? Like kind of representation of the market? Yeah, the whole the whole stocks and okay. all the market, yeah. right? They, so they own the Total Stock Market Index. But they also own, I think it was 12 different other mutual funds that were large cap and growth stocks. So okay. meaning that... Those other mutual there, funds. There's a lot of that stuff in the other fund, right? You own them over and over and over. So I bet you okay. if we were to pull them apart a little bit more in depth, that all those 12 or 13 funds all own Citigroup, all own mm. Ford, for example, all own Home Depot, all of those things. So you had a lot of duplication going on in there. And then what are you doing? You're defeating diversification, right? Because you're yeah. really not diversified. You're just owning the same companies over and over and over with different funds and different percentage rates. So you got to be careful when you're looking at that. Just because you have a lot of different funds doesn't mean you're diversified. Diversification means having different assets that are non-correlated. So you want small company stocks, large company stocks, medium company stocks, stock, bonds, maybe some real estate, meaning that they're not all correlated. They're different companies that you're going to own going through and you know they're going to not all go the same direction. So diversification helps take out the roller coaster rides of the stock market most of the time. Sometimes it doesn't, mm-hmm. but most of the time, it's not even just the investments themselves, as it is the accounts as well. Sometimes I look at even hosting the show with you, Kevin. I still fall victim to that feeling at least occasionally. I look at you know our financial situation. I'm like, all right, Connie's got two four hundred three Bs now from the two different companies that she's worked with, and now we've got this four hundred one a thing and a 457 and i've got a traditional and a roth she's got a roth and i've got an old 401k even and it's like all right there's a whole i got a whole bunch of different accounts i'm diversified right but that's the same fallacy the same uh terrible line of thinking is thinking just different mutual funds is making you diversified well i'm betting you're falling into that category i just talked about and uh, you need a good financial advisor walter do you know one <laughs> I, I, I know a really good one off the back of my hand in fact yes, absolutely. no you should seriously you should look at that because i'm betting that you have you know let, let's this is a good example for listeners if you said connie has an old 403b yeah it's because she left the hospital in north carolina and now she's working for a hospital in colorado right yep exactly so you can combine that 403b with your new 403b yep and then you have an old 401k you said from where you were prior right you could transfer that to an ira and get earned to your new 401k yeah so you and then you can you know start to look at the picture and say 
all right, I can get a little bit more diversified. I'm not owning the same things over and over and over. So that's a really good example yeah. of what you, what you came up with right there. Yeah, I, I know the right answer. Like I, for, just from hosting this show with you and, and all the knowledge you've given me over the years, I, I know not to think I'm diversified just because of the number of accounts, but just that human nature makes you feel good to see that many. It's like, so, oh, okay, I got all these baskets, right? So <laughs> I, I just, exactly, You feel like you don't have all your eggs in one basket, right? But, but you absolutely yep. still do. It's you just, do, yes. It's just a, I don't know, the, the baskets are filled with the same material. So there you go. All right. So in contrast to that, the average investor's way of defining diversification, what does it mean then to you? Well, diversification means to me, like we have talked about it, but we want to have, we don't want all our eggs in one basket. So we don't have small companies in one basket, large companies in another basket, medium-sized companies in another basket, some short-term bonds, some intermediate-term bonds in another basket, some real estate in another basket, some cash in another basket, maybe, you know, a little gold or whatever it is in another basket. Why do you, how many baskets did I just say, Walter? Well, that was a good number. I don't know. That I was a good number. Keep yeah. count, but a handful for sure. Yeah, a good number of baskets. So do you think all baskets, let's say gravity's involved here, do you think all baskets are going to rise and fall the same? Uh, no, no, not they're necessarily, not necessarily. No. So that if you can picture the baskets rising and falling, it's not going to be super high. It's not going to be super low in most cases. So those baskets are going to, you know, if you take your hand and do a snake in the air, that's going to level out that ride as you're going through retirement. Typically, that's what diversification does. Like we said last year, most everything was down, but you know, dividend paying stocks were up. Energy was up. So there were certain categories that are up so your whole portfolio didn't go down so diversification would lessen that you know that big downturn that most people experienced last year just by simply having some of your eggs in different baskets and going down the road Hmm. all right very good so we've seen the diversification definition of the average person you've given us some context from your perspective kevin so in your experience, whatever our definitions of diversification may be, how much emphasis do you see the average investor placing on this whole idea of diversification? Do they even realize its importance in most cases? Most cases, I would say no, because it doesn't come in. People don't come into my office and they say, I, I'm, am I diversified? Am I not diversified? Along those lines. They're just looking at their accounts and they're judging their returns. They're judging their account on their returns. And like we said early in the market, they may be judging those against, or early in the show, they may be judging those against the stock market. That's typically how I see people, you know, the emphasis on my returns. Am I doing as well as the market? Diversification very rarely comes into the conversation until I bring it up and say, hey, we need to get more diversification and we need to do it for the reasons I just stated a minute ago. And that's going to help your returns going mm. forward. So that's, you know, we kind of reverse engineer it and, and show them how it helps returns. Great points across the board here, Kevin. All right, so diversification, name of the game right now. If you've got questions as we go through this, by the way, feel free to reach out to Kevin and ask those questions. Uh, if you get the voicemail, just leave a quick message and Kevin will return that call. 888-885-PLAN is the number. 888-885-PLAN. Is it possible, let me just play devil's advocate here, Kevin. Is it possible to be too diversified? Hmm, that's a good question, Walter. I guess it, yeah, I guess it could be when... When you own a little bit of just the mar the market's fine, you know, bonds are fine, but let's mm -hmm. say you get outside there and then you start investing in, you know, penny stocks and then okay. crypto and then whatever else comes along, just because you want a piece of everything, I think that you can get too far out there as far as diversification goes, and then it's going to dilute your returns over time. 
So I think you want to stay with the, with the steady and the true and steady. You know, that's the market overall. Get diversification there. Maybe not, you know, maybe you think buying a house is going to and you're going in part of your diversification strategy and you're going to flip it. It doesn't work out that good. And you put a bigger chunk in there. So those things, I think, can get out of hand over time. But if we're talking stock market, you know, being diversified is a very good thing. But when we're talking these other things that you think are diversifying your, your whole portfolio, maybe not so much. Okay, very good. Uh, last question about diversification here, Kevin, and then uh, we'll consider the topic covered well, is uh, maybe to get a, a scenario or an example. You're so good at telling us these stories and these hypothetical type situations. So can you describe a scenario for us where you took something that was uh, a portfolio that was not diversified and made it much better? Like what was the tangible difference that you created? Well, I can tell you a story that didn't work out. Let me. Okay. I think that'd be. I think Ooh, that'd be a right. better. Thing. Very good. So we had somebody come in my office. They worked for one of the big companies here in the Tri City area, and had all. Now this is the, this is not the lady I just talked about. Had all their money in one stock. This is a gentleman who come in had all his money in that company stock. That was it. Okay. And then this company this company started having some financial problems. They cut their dividend, this and that, and then all of a sudden the comp, the stock lost. A good percentage. I want to say 60-70% of their their value. And he came into my office and he wanted to sell that particular stock. I'm like, not now. You know, now's not the time. You know, that comp- that stock will come back. And when it comes back, then we need to sit down. Then we need to talk about diversification portfolio. So guess what, Walter? The stock I think went down to six bucks a share. It came back, went back up to thirty bucks a share. I called that gentleman up. I said, "Come in the office. Let's talk about diversified net portfolio." What do you think his answer was? Oh, uh, I'm sure he was had some major concerns about that. No, he was fine now. Oh, really? Okay. Yes, didn't want he kept it right there. Oh, interesting. So you know that's where emotions come into play, right? You you wrote it out, you came back. Now it makes sense. When it didn't make sense to sell everything, I you know I kind of grounded him. Said you got to stick in there because you're taking a huge loss. And when it made sense to start selling some of it in diversification. Well, he, the motions got involved again, and then he mm. seen, well, I'm doing all right right now. So, so he, he, he didn't back. see the light or learn, learn from did, the previous situation. No. So if that company goes through something very similar, the same thing's going to happen. Now it's probably 15, 12, 15 years later, and I'm, I haven't seen that gentleman in a while, but I'm assuming that most of, it, of everything is still not diversified. So if now he's retired, now that's where it really can hurt you because if that stock did the same thing, and then you're required, you know, if you're um, living on the whatever it's pr- producing, if you're taking that income, and then we go from a $30 a share down to $4 a share, you're going to run into trouble. So don't let that happen to you. Diversification is key. It's always been key. It's always a fundamental in investing. So make sure your portfolio is investing going into it. And if you don't know how, if you don't know if you're invested, if you think you own a bunch of funds like we think, like we said earlier, just give me a call. We'd be happy to go through that with you. That's what, that's what we do here every day. So easy to get in touch and start taking steps to a better financial future. All you have to do is pick up the phone and give a call to Kevin at 888-885-PLAN. Again, that's 888-885-7526. Get on the right track in your financial situation. Make sure that you're prepared for the future. And uh, boy, just making sure that 
you're addressing all these really important financial topics that we talk about here on the show, uh, but all of it gets incorporated into that financial plan. So diversification, just one element, just one piece of the puzzle. And uh, it's just really important to make sure that that's, that one area is figured out. But there's also so much more involved, and Kevin will walk you through all the different important moving parts of your financial plan. So don't hesitate to reach out with your questions and go through a complimentary review process. The number to call again is 888-885-PLAN. That's 888-885-7526. And always online at insightfolios.com. More to come on today's show, so stick with us. You're listening to Simply Financial with Kevin Ray. It's getting to know you time. Well, it's time to get to know Kevin Ray a little bit better on today's show. And this is our Getting to Know You segment where we ask fun questions each week to just have a little fun non-financial conversation. Isn't hard for us to do, Kevin. We love dabbling in these kinds of things. Uh, so this is an interesting one. You do a lot of flying. So I'm curious, how many, how many hours do you get to the airport before your flight? Oh, well, normally I like to take the local airports here, either Flint or Tri-City Airport. So if I'm doing that, I'll okay. get there an hour, hour ahead of time. A little easier in and out, right? A lot easier in and out. <laughs> but if lately, because of COVID and all the restrictions and all the flights that they've canceled, if I, I've had to fly to Detroit and Grand Rapids, I'm going to get there at least an hour and a half ahead of time because they're bigger airports and bigger crowds. And, you know, I'm TSA approved, but it still doesn't, mm-hmm. that's still a lot of people going through there and Good Lord, when you go down to Detroit Airport, you better take your camera like I do, your phone camera, and remember where you're parked because when you come back, that's a big airport down there. So, Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Do you, are you trying to uh, check bags a lot or do you do mostly carry-on? Mostly carry-on because yeah. normally it's short flights. And, um, you know, if I go down to Paul's office there in North Carolina, I got a carry-on bag. Mm-hmm. But if I was – that's another thing. You brought up a good thing because I'm going to Idaho uh, fishing. You know, we talked about that. And I'm going to leave out of Tri-City here. It's an easy flight, but I got to take some bags. It always makes me nervous if I have, you know, flying to Chicago where we're at, if my bag's going to make it because, you know, I right. need, yeah. so I'm, I'm taking my fly rod with me on the plane and you know, I'm taking the essentials and hoping the rest of the stuff makes it. So. And and that much more time to then check in whenever you do the check. That's why I love care. I do love carrying on. Not so much for the, I don't mind actually checking a bag. I love being able to check a bag, not have to worry about it for the rest of while I'm walking around the airport, getting on and off the plane, not having to worry about it. And I'm okay waiting the extra 10, 15 minutes at baggage claim to pick it up and then go on about my business. I like the convenience of that, but I hate getting to the airport super early. (laughs) So (laughs) I I don't like uh, the stress of then the extra time it usually takes to do that checked bag. So. Yeah. That's why I like to, to carry on when possible. And I had a fun, something funny happen the other day, Kevin. I, I like to push it a little bit. You know, I'm a bit of a procrastinator. So uh, I, I, we, we end up rushing a little bit from the parking lot at the airport a lot of the time and just making sure, okay, let's move, hustle, let's hustle, let's go, let's go. Um, I, uh, I, I showed up to pre-check and I got to the front and he was like, you're not pre-check. And I'm like, oh, come on. I was like, I have literally flown a hundred times in the last couple of years, and I've been pre-check every time. Something went weird has occurred. I'm I'm pre-check, and he's like, it's not on your card. Sorry, got to go back to the go back to the front. Oh, I was I was so mad. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how you get very entitled very quickly when you're used to you know not having to go through the normal security lines and whatnot. So I stomped all the way back to the front, and then they put it through and went back to the check-in counter, and they and they said you're not pre-checked, you got to get out of line. And I'm like, I just got them to fill it out, and he was like, Oh, okay. He's like, It takes a couple of minutes to go through the system. Just stand over there. So I'm like standing off to the side, and another security person comes up, and they're like questioning me, like Why are you standing here? And I'm like having to explain the whole thing 
something to them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, all of this over a little check mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I, I don't remember where I was at, but I'm always pre-checked too. And they said, no, you're not pre-checked. And I'm like, what do you mean? For 20 years, I've been, five, 10 years right, or whatever. Yeah. I've been pre-checked. And so I get back, I'm a little irritated. So, you know, I write, email the TSA. Why am I not pre-checking this place? Because you use your middle initial. And oh, I interesting. Never, okay. I never used my middle initial before. And I'm like, oh. oh and then oh. when you booked this time, it did or something. Okay. Yeah, it did. It's just different. So that's huh. why I kicked it out. Well, I said, all right, go. I learned my lesson. I won't do that again. So, well, I was being all huffy, but they were just doing their jobs. And so I apologized yeah. as I went through and said, sorry, yeah. I just was stressed. And, uh, it's all good. So anyway, got all straightened out, but yeah, it was the weird, it was just the first time it ever had not showed up on the thing. I didn't, hadn't even thought to look at it cause it's just always there. You know? Yeah. And, same with and it, it was on Connie's. That was the other weird thing. So she went right on through. I was like, why would it be on hers and not on mine? I booked the flights. You know? <laughs> I'm the, I'm the primary booker and she got it, but I didn't. Anyway. They like Connie better is all. I, uh, yes. Uh, well, yes. they, they should. Uh, you can tell I'm still bitter about this, but there you go. No, uh, I can tell. Air travel, always uh, <laughs> always an adventure, but that's a pretty minor complaint in the grand scheme of things. That's a stressful thing anymore to get on a plane. You know, you're It can always, be. You always you hear can. these horror stories, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah. All right, well, safe travels in your upcoming trip, my friend, and uh, we've still got more to come on today's show, so stay tuned. You're listening to Simply Financial, and we'll get back to the finance and uh, retirement talk coming up. No need to complicate it. This is Simply Financial. Well, before we wrap up this week's show, we've got just enough time for one of our listener questions. So we'll open up the mailbag here. If you'd like to submit a question to be featured on a future show, you can always drop Kevin an email. It's kevin at insightfolios.com. Kevin at insightfolios.com. Karen says, I recently inherited an IRA from my dad that has about $150,000 in it. I wasn't expecting this money at all. So I'm thinking about just cashing it out and paying off my house. Is there anything wrong with that idea? Well, Karen, that's a, that's a frequent question than you would think it would be for me. But um, here's a couple of things you got to think about. So if you cash at IRA in that 550000 you have one thing that's really going to be looking at your rate in the face. That's taxes. So you're going to owe taxes, not only if you're here in Michigan, you're going to owe the state tax of four and a quarter, and you're going to own federal tax of at least 22%, I'm assuming, because I'm assuming you're still working. So what's, Walter, get your little calculator out and do me a okay. favor. What's 26.25% of 150,000? Oh, wait, oh, hold on. I wasn't ready for that. Okay, go ahead. 26.25% of 150,000. 150,000 times, you said 26.5%? 25. 26.25. Yes. So 0.2625, 39,375, about so 40,000. About, about 40,000, Karen, that you, you will owe the IRS, and I'm probably... Uh, a little conservative on that idea. So if you do that, and then if it pays off your house, then you have no more house payments. But let's let's look at how long is your house payment for? Do you have five years, 10 years left? How much interest are you going to save by doing it that way? And the other thing is now that 150 is if you cash it in and you paid off your house, you've lost the future earning power, the future value of that 150. And let's say you're 40 years old, that 150 could possibly you know, growing to four, five, six hundred thousand dollars down the road. So you're not only giving up the future value of it, you're paying taxes on it today, you're paying off your house, and maybe you're at the end of your mortgage where most of your payment is going towards your principal, not interest. So all of those things need to be looked at. We have this question quite a bit that when people come in the office, and we got to break it down, just like I said. How, long, how much more is your mortgage? 
How, what's your income now? What are the taxes going to be if we pay that off early? All those things come into question. And let's look at what that 150 could potentially do for you in retirement. Is it going to do more for you than it is paying off the house? So answer all those questions first, Karen. And if you don't have anybody help you, give me a call. I'd be happy to do it. And we do this all the time in our office. People get inheritances and sometimes that's what they want to do. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Very good question, Karen. Thank you for sending that one in to us. And if you are in a similar situation to Karen, or you've got some other financial and retirement planning question that's on your mind, and you want to work through it one-on-one with Kevin, you can do just that. doesn't have to be here on the show. You can have a private conversation with Kevin about your financial goals. The number to call is 888-885-PLAN. And Kevin can take you through a complimentary financial review process and make sure that you're on the right track to get to and through retirement through that process. 888-885-PLAN plan is the number. The hardest part of the whole thing is just picking up that phone, calling and getting things started. So again, dial 888-885-PLAN with your questions. 888-885-7526. Well, Kevin, that's going to wrap things up for us on this week's show, but thank you so much for uh, guiding us through the great conversations today and hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Get better, Walter. Will do. I think we'll be back to 100% next week. Good deal. Thanks for bearing with me, everybody. We'll see you next time right back here on Simply Financial. Fee-based financial planning and investment advisory services are offered through Insight Folios, Inc., a registered investment advisor. The firm only transacts business in states where it is properly registered or is excluded or exempted from registration requirements. Insurance products and services are offered through individually licensed and appointed agents in various jurisdictions. Insight Folios, Inc. does not offer legal or tax advice. Kevin Ray is an investment advisor representative of Insight Folios, Inc.